0: Hey, cuz welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is. Today, we're gonna get us some of that good, good loving. Hi there, I'm Claude Call, and I've got some cool trivia for ye this time around. This, I think, is one of those you, you know it or you don't kind of questions, but here it is. Who was the first female musician to perform on a Beatles recording and what song was it? As you know the Beatles music, they got a little more complex as they moved into and beyond the Rubber Soul and Revolver era and they had to bring in some session musicians for things like horns and violins and such. But until this woman performed on a Beatles track all of the session musicians had been men. So who was this woman and what song does she appear on? As an extra hint, I I personally think that her contribution was quite significant to the overall sound of the song. I'll tell you who it was and a little bit more at the end of the show. So by the time Felix Cavalier uh, founded his own doo-wop group in the early 1960s, he had already been trained on classical piano by his mother. Cavalier was attending Syracuse University when he put together a vocal harmony group called the Escorts. Now, I should point out that this is not the same band with that name, which is also known as the Legendary Escorts. Anyway, it wasn't long after that that he returned to the New York City area to join the Starlighters. That was Joey D's backup band. The Starlighters were past their hit-making days, but they could still draw a crowd on the touring circuit, and that's where Cavalier got some of his touring chops and it was on one of those tours that he met David Brigatti. The following year, in 1965, Gene Cornish left his own group to join the Starlighters, and the three of them had enough of a rapport with each other that they decided to break away from Joey D and form their own band, getting jazz drummer Dino Danelli to join them. The band began rehearsing at Cavalier's house and then later at a place in Garfield, New Jersey called the Choo Choo Club because it was close to Brigatti's house. It was manager Billy Amato Smith who discovered them at the club and who referred them to Sid Bernstein. That's the same guy responsible for bringing most of the British invasion bands to the United States. Bernstein, as the band's manager, got them a contract with Atlantic Records, making them the first white group to sign with that label. Now, they bumped into a little bit of trouble with their name when another act, Bora Minovich's and Johnny Puleo's Harmonica Rascals, objected to the name The Rascals, so they agreed to be called The Young Rascals. They put together their first album, which consisted mostly of covers, with one exception. And Good Lovin' was not that exception. <coughs> Yeah, we need to back up just a little bit here. Good Loving was written by Rudy Clark, and it was first recorded in 1965 by Lemmy Smith, who is using the stage name of Lemmy Be Good on the Mercury label. Now you might notice that the basic structure is the same, but the lyrics are a little bit different from the words you probably know. For those changes, is that Rudy Clark didn't really like the lyrics when he heard the song, so he brought in Artie Resnick as a co writer to fix the words. It wasn't but a month later that the song was re recorded by the Olympics on a label called Loma. This version, which was produced by Jerry Ragovoy, managed to make it onto the Billboard Hot 100, peaking around number 83. And And the story goes that Felix Cavalier heard the song on a New York City radio station. Other accounts of that he found the record in a Harlem music store. Either way, Young Rascals added it to their concert repertoire using those same words and for my money mostly the same arrangements but co-producers Arif Mardin and Tom Dowd did something a little different first off they worked to capture the band's live performance energy and second they recorded it in stereo so the first thing you hear is three of the band members counting in on one it's Eddie Brigati on two it's Gene Cornish and on three it's Felix Cavalier. And if you listen closely, you'll realize that they ping pong back and forth in your stereo speakers. One, two. Now, Cavalier has said that he didn't think the song was going to be a hit. None of the band did, because they didn't like the sound of their performance. But you know what? Hit it did. The record was released on February 1st, 1966, and it reached the number one slot on the Billboard Hot 100 the week of April 30th. They only spent the one week there before the Mamas and Papas nudged it out with their song, Monday, Monday, which was kind of a monster hit for them. So... As far as covers go, there have been a few, but perhaps the most notable was by The Grateful Dead, which added it to their concert rotation in 1969 and played it in nearly every show thereafter. It was originally sung by Pigpen McKernan and then later on by Bob Weir after Pigpen's death in 1973. Weirdly enough, they didn't record it in a studio until 1978 for the Shakedown Street album, and at the time the track got some rather poor reviews, especially for Weir's vocals. The Dead did perform the song on Saturday Night Live that same year, but it still didn't even crack the Hot 100, except in Canada, where it made it all the way to number 94. That said, it's still a staple of many classic rock stations. Another cover I kind of dug was when the song was used as the theme to the show Doctor Doctor, not the not not the Australian show which is very popular. It's an American situation comedy that ran for 40 episodes from 1989 through 1991. The band who recorded it went uncredited, so I don't know what more to tell you other than if you can find the show, check it out. It was pretty good and has a bunch of before they were famous actors in it. Here's that track in its entirety. <laughs> doctor, doctor, uh, do, do, do. Bye.
1: I was feeling... Doctor, doctor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is there a doctor in the house?
0: Yes. And now it's time to answer today's trivia question. Back on page two, I asked you about the first female session musician to play on a Beatles song. Well, her name was Sheila Bromberg, and she's the one who played this. (quetcle是啊) Wednesday morning at five o'clock as the day begins. Bromberg is the one playing the harp on She's Leaving Home from the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album. Here's a clip from the BBC's The One Show from 2011 in which Bromberg visited the studio for the first time since that day.
1: This picture, phoned me up and said, am I free from nine o'clock at night till midnight? And I looked at the diary and, oh, no. I had a jingle from 8 till 9. Then I was on here from 10 till 1. Then I was at Decker from 2.30 to 5.30. And I thought, do I really want a session from 9 till midnight? But it was Alec, and he gave me a lot of work. So I didn't want to turn him down, I didn't want to upset him. He didn't tell me at the time that it was for the Beatles. You never knew who you were going to play with. And I was sitting here at half past 8, tuning the harp. Thinking of nothing in particular, suddenly a piece of music was plonked on my music stand. I gave it a brief look. Oh, yeah, right, right. And then this voice said, uh, well, what you got on the dust? Meaning, uh, what's written on the music? I recognised the Liverpool accent turned around. Of course, it was Paul McCartney. Uh, well, first of all, I played exactly what was written, which is, I'm reading the music here. Into that. So then I stopped and he said, No, I don't want that, I want something. So I thought, How can I make it different? I think he had an idea in his head of what he wanted it to sound like, but he couldn't describe it, he couldn't express it, and he was waiting for somebody to bring it out of the air. During the session, after each time we played it, Paul McCartney, we'd hear the controls from the controls. No, I don't want that, I want something. uh..." So we'd play it again. Came midnight, and the string section were really fed up. And eventually the leader of the string orchestra stood up, Eric Grunberg, tucked his violin under his his arm and said, Now it is midnight, we have to go home because we are working in the morning. (laughs) So a voice from the control box said, Well (laughs) supposed. We all went home. After all that work, when Sheila heard the track, she realized they'd used the first tape. The sound McCartney had been after, a doubling effect of her playing, had been created by the engineers. Oh, that's how they got the sound. That's what he was after. Yes. Clever.
0: Bromberg passed away in 2021 at the age of 93. that my friend is a full lid on another edition of how good it is if you're enjoying the show please take the time to share it with someone and maybe even leave a rating or better yet a review somewhere and now you can support the show over at patreon.com slash how good it is if you want to get in touch with the show you can email me at howgoodpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com or you can follow the show on twitter or instagram at how Good It Is. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at Facebook.com/slash How Good It Is pod. Or, of course, you can check out the show's website, HowGoodItIs.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next time. How Good It Is! Save Big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.